Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Linode and Drafts and Squarespace. Woo. I'm Simone de Rochefort. I'm a video producer at Polygon.com. And I'm here today with Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Developer Advocate at Microsoft, and Brianna Wu, Democratic Candidate for Congress and Ultimate Sleep-Deprived Human Being. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been so nice today. It's because I was I was telling uh, Christine Simone before the show started, like, when you're sleep-deprived, it's kind of like going to your career, but you're drunk all day <laughs> because yep. it's just reality, unreality, like, you don't know what's what. Well, it's so kind of fun. That explains yeah. a lot about Congress, Brie. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're you're drunk, and then you also get like the uh, like the like the the adrenaline high sort of thing, where you're like yeah. super creative and everything is awesome, and it's actually really good for brief periods of time. And then when it's too much, just like being drunk, you know, there's like the bomber uh, peak. Yeah. Like yeah. there's the same thing with sleep deprivation. <laughs> Uh, we have so many exciting things to talk about today, uh, from Qualcomm's a trial with the FTC Woo. to a sexy new piece of technology that I think we all just uh, definitely cannot wait to get our hands on, <laughs> to Firefest, uh, which is the subject of not one, not one, folks, but two documentaries yes! this week. It's basically Christina's unbirthday <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but we're not worthy. No, we're not worthy. We really aren't. And before we get into all that, we're going to do a brief callback to our Tesla topic from a few weeks ago. I think it was exactly two weeks ago where we were talking about tax credits. And we got a very thoughtful listener email from Sam. Thank you, Sam, which I am going to read for you all. Actually, sorry, this was a thoughtful Twitter DM. Thank you, Sam. Listening to Rocket and wanted to clarify some stuff on the EV subsidy program. The plug-in vehicle subsidies were established as part of the 2007 Energy Independence and Security Act that also mandated increases in average fleet fuel economy to a minimum of 35 miles per gallon by 2020. BT dubs that legal requirement is why the Trump admin can't lower CAFE below that level without an act of Congress. The fed- I'm sorry I'm reading this email like I would read in an ad, Sam, but just deal with it. <laughs> the federal tax credits are payable to the buyer, not the manufacturer. You get the money back when you file income taxes, not from the manufacturer. There are several layers of subsidy based on the battery energy capacity of the vehicle, uh, those with more than 16 kilowatts. Yes, get the full 7,500. Cars like plug-in hybrids with smaller batteries get lower subsidies. The program was meant to jumpstart EV sales and was done at a time when gas prices were at $4 and expected to go higher. The presumption was that subsidies on the first 200,000 sales for each manufacturer would be sufficient. Once an OEM hits 200,000 cumulative sales, they get one more quarter at the full subsidy. Tesla hit this threshold in July 2018. Thus, Q4 was the last for the full subsidy. Customers have to take delivery by end of quarter to be eligible. Because the OEM doesn't actually pay the money, they are under no legal obligation to honor it. However, Tesla did say in the last week of the year that if a customer paid for a car, but for some reason the delivery couldn't be completed in time, they would cover the difference, which is $3,750. For the first two quarters of the phase-out, the tax credit is cut in half, and then for the next two, it's cut in half again to 1875 and then it goes away completely. GM hit the 200k mark in December, so their phase-out period begins in April, ends in March of 2020. In general, <laughs> I support incentives for beneficial technologies. 
However, I also think that the incentives should be tied to the price of the vehicle as they are in Germany. I really think that customers that can afford a $100,000 plus car don't really need a tax break to buy it, and most of the people that bought Teslas would have done so anyway. The incentives should be limited to mainstream models. Sam. Thank you so much, Sam, for your incredibly <laughs> detailed. That is so thoughtful. Thank you. We, and like, we love it, It's by a the long way. note, but it's succinct for the information that it conveys in it. Yeah, no, no that was really good. And there have been a couple of other uh, updates. We're not going to get into this as a full topic, but the uh, one of the auto shows, the North American Auto Show was this week. And Tesla is not there, which is typical for them. They're kind of like, you know, like how Apple always like doesn't go to the big trade conferences, mm-hmm. like Tesla's yep. kind of the same way. Um, but, you know, everybody else, but Tesla even, and again, kind of like Apple, you know, isn't really there, um, uh, but they're, you know, kind of uh, lurking over the the conferences. The same thing was true with Tesla at the auto show because um, a bunch of manufacturers were announcing their EV plans and, um, you know, their investments. And the biggest one I thought was that Ford said, uh, as today, as we record this, that they are going to be working on both full and hybrid uh, models of uh, the F-Series truck line. And yeah. that's massive because those are that's the biggest selling car in the United States, like period. Mm-hmm. But it makes a lot of sense too. Totally. I mean, you know, like a truck is a work vehicle more than something that goes like huge amounts of distances, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine if you're on a work site, right? Like charge that thing up. You're not spending fuel. You're not right. like polluting the area you're working in. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of advantages with uh, the ability to produce torque on demand. Oh, yeah. So no, 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 you're not wrong, but I think it's huge. And I think it's, it's also huge, like with these subsidies going away and whatnot, like they're going to have, you know, need other reasons to entice people. And I think Sam makes a great point about, you know, people not necessarily wanting to spend a hundred thousand dollars on a car. Like, like I said, the F-150 is the best selling car in the United States. So if you're talking about, you know, future models being either hybrid or even full EV, like that has the potential to really, um, kickstart and get a lot more people driving electric vehicles than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I 100% agree with that with uh, Sam's point about uh, luxury cars not necessarily needing that subsidy. Somehow, I it slips my mind how truly expensive Teslas are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think it's because the Model 3 was sold as the cheap one. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that hasn't been true, and and they can't even manufacture them in, in the capacities people want. But the whole idea was, oh, it's a thirty five thousand dollar car. Well, no, it's a sixty thousand dollar car if you get the options that everybody really needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know the the on paper the reason I think a lot of people were into it was it's a thirty five thousand dollar car and you'll get a seventy five hundred dollar um, deductible or or, mm-hmm. or or you know refund. And at that yeah. point, that makes it. You know, not. I mean, that at that point, you're you're less than a BMW, you're less than a Mercedes. You know, you're you're at the kind of you know mid mid range price. And you're electric, baby. Well, I just want to add one thing here on that. Uh, you know, one of the really interesting things about the uh, the new nine eleven uh, uh, drivetrain, uh, the nine nine two, is they left enough space in the gearbox on the PDK, you know, the automatic model, that they can take it out and make it a hybrid, essentially. And I kind of, you know, at first I was like, well, Tesla gets this subsidy, like, why can't you have it for, you know, Audi and Porsche and these other companies to move it into their yeah, to move it into their production line. Like the goal here isn't to be completely fair. It's to, you know, like get 
manufacturers producing EVs as quickly as possible. Like it's a it's a national right. security issue. But then it's like, you know what? Like they're probably gonna charge two hundred thousand dollars for that like version <laughs> of the nine eleven. And yeah, maybe maybe that's maybe we need to be at, like focusing our subsidies on the lower end. That makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's right. And and honestly, if you think about like the impact, the number of people who are going to buy a $200,000 car um, is really limited. The number of those cars that are going to be made, period, is going to be limited. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you are talking about something like an F-150 or, you know, um, a, a, another kind of, you know, a sedan or whatever, like that's obviously going to have a bigger impact. Yep. Well, wow. <laughs> Perfect segue, Christina. Speaking of <laughs> tech items that are going to have a Big impact. <laughs> sexy, sexy. Motorola's <sighs> Razor is making a comeback oh as my God. a $1,500 phone with a foldable screen, which makes it the only new tech product that Christina Warren will probably not <laughs> buy. And I yep, say probably I'm not sold. because I'm I don't know. On record, I, mean, I think she'll buy one. I'm going to say it on the show. I mean, I said on Twitter that I'm not going to. And then everyone in the comments immediately said, but what if it comes in rose gold? And oh, damn no. it. <laughs> no, it's a good point because I did have the hot pink T-Mobile edition Razor. That was one of my favorite phones of all time that I got for Christmas in like 2000. Five, I want to say, and and it was uh, 2005 or 2006. It was it was amazing, and I loved it. It was like my favorite phone ever, uh, one of my favorite phones ever. So yeah, this is a big deal uh, for me just to say no. I have no interest in this because you guys, because even you're you. me, person who buys everything, fifteen hundred dollars for a modern razor. Are you freaking kidding me? What are you doing, Lenovo? Like, for real? Like, what are you doing? And what are they doing? Because there are no pictures yet. And this is supposedly nope. something that could go on sale as soon as February, which, yep. as you know, is extremely soon because it's the uh-huh. end of January right now. And a, if a foldable screen, not the old one was a flip phone. Everyone's saying foldable screen. And the only foldable screen we've seen so far is that Samsung demo. So this is uh-huh. something like, this is... This is out of this world. Show me the goods. Show me the goods, <laughs> right. Razor. I want to see the phone. Yeah, okay. exactly. This is my argument, though, why I think Christina will ultimately fold, just like she did on the iPhone <laughs> 10S. Uh, she was a liar, I do believe. She is a liar. Show? I, I was. I was yep. absolutely a liar. You okay. were right. This You're is, right. This is the... Um, this is... I mean, I, I'm not precognitive. I don't know the future. But this is what I think the... like. This is the evidence in that favor, I think. Mm -hmm. There are only going to be 200,000 of these made, according to The Verge. So that is, you know what? That's kind of a a cool, limited piece of technology. Like, that appeals to me. Uh, We also haven't really seen, uh, you know, foldable phones in the wild before. And let's be honest. Come on. You remember when you were the first person to have the iPhone 4, Mm. and everyone was like, oh, what is that? That doesn't happen with Apple products these days. It's just too commoditized. And I think like if they bring it out and, and the design is good and it's worth $1,500 somehow, I don't know. I could see Christina talking herself into this. And if it's rose gold, like it's just game over. Like that's so, it. So, so what yeah. you're saying is that because I'm a hype beast. <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm curious, how much do you consider yourself worth, like, on an hourly basis? I don't know. 
Like four million dollars. No, I don't know. Like <laughs> like I don't know, like a hundred dollars an hour. I don't know. Okay. Uh, how long did you wait in line for snap spectacles? Five hours. Five hours. Five okay. Five five and a half hundred dollars right there. Uh-huh. Oh, and then I bought them. So it was seven hundred and fifty. Yeah, because I bought them then on top of that. So yes. Okay. Seven fifty, seven fifty. Um Let's see. What, who's who's doing the math here? We have fifty. Oh yeah, no, I mean, minus yeah, yes, yeah, so it's, it's only double that. Also, yeah. I I waited in line for ten and a half hours for an iPhone four. Oh, uh, I okay, waited but that's over like something good. Yeah, and I waited overnight for an iPhone five. I mean, I, I've done the Apple lines a bunch of times. Yeah, um, same. I d- I've, I've done the Cronut line. That was really dumb. That was oh, the boy. worst line. That was the worst line. What I'm um, envisioning here, I, I here's. Honestly, Christina, I'm I'm with Brie on this. I think it's going to be a situation <laughs> where there's this new thing, uh huh, and there's a chance for you to get your hands on it, and it's shiny and it's weird, and it's almost <sighs> it, it has an aura not just of rarity, but of like bizarre, almost yeah. like disaster. Oh my god, you're right. You're you're it. right. Yes, and you love kitsch, disaster. Oh my god, you're right that I do. Oh my god, it has the kitsch disaster aspect. It's going to be an ish show, and oh damn it, the I, fire yeah, festival you know of phones. Actually, that it, was it, the galaxy. But hey, <laughs> but um, bum. And actually, you know what? You say that, and like as bad as that was, give me two more years. Like give me three more years, so it'll be five years since the Galaxy Note Seven. And I'm going to be one of those people trying to buy a Galaxy Note 7 on eBay just to have it for the kids. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I'm not, you're, I, I'm just being honest. Uh, that is actually reality. So, yeah. Can we Are talk to having, Microsoft? I don't think, yeah, I don't think I would judge you for this. No, I don't. No. I mean, I, I don't. We need to see what it looks like first because here's my thing. If it looks like hot garbage, if it's ugly and not a fun way, like if it's just bad, if it's just like an expensive, like bad thing, like I've seen really expensive phones before, like the Virtru phones and then they're like these other companies that charge like a lot of money for, you know, like expensive leathers and stuff and they're just bad. Or if it's something like, even something weird like the... um who, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, the, uh, um, the red phone, like, mm, and yeah. I really like the red cameras, but hell no, like you couldn't pay me to, to use that. I mean, it looked awful. It got bad reviews and, you know, like red has like a, has like a significant fandom and their cameras are awesome. Um, but no, like I'm not going to buy that. So what it if- would have to be, it has to be weird and like, yeah, it definitely has to have the weird quotient has to be in like a kitschy way. What if it looks like the razor, the old razor, but just the screen goes all the way down? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, 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 I mean, well, it, it'll depend. I mean, they're saying it's foldable, right? Like, I will be honest, the, the closer it looks to the original like the better I'm going to feel about it. And I and, and I say this despite being on the whole like nostalgia tech is bad mm-hmm. trend because it is. But like if you're going to do this, you need to freaking do this. How did you feel about the the 2011 Razor Refresh? Oh, that was terrible because it was just the name. <laughs> I was even at that launch event and that was like a weird thing. That was like during the era where um, Google still owned Motorola, but it was a Verizon exclusive. It was a weird thing. Yeah, it was it, that was. Yeah. 
that was just like one of the standard Motorola phones that just happened to have the Razer name. It wasn't flip. It didn't have anything that like harkened back to its legacy. It had decent battery life, as I recall. That was like its only thing is that it was thin and had good battery life. Mm-hmm. But like the Razer was this iconic phone. Actually, uh, I'll see if I can find the the link and, and give it to you for the show notes because I ran across it um, last week, ironically. Um, apparently, it was like the 15th anniversary, like right now of of, of getting close to to when the phone was like announced or released or whatever. Oh. And um so CNET did this like di- big deep dive into it and they have like an oral history with the designer and whatnot. And um it didn't really take off for like a year and a half after it was first announced, but then, you know, like the colors and stuff. But like that industrial design, when I look at the razor, like that's one of those, it's like the Palm Five. Um it's one of those like Ramsian, like uh brawn era kind of designs that just is to me timeless oh absolutely Um, you know it's one of the best designs of all time and so like i don't know like i would need something that really has that kind of thing because if it's just going to be if it's going to be weird looking but not in like a significantly cool way or even just like or just a smart phone but a little thicker because you unfold it kind of way right that would be unexciting yeah, like so. So, but my 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 hope here for for my wallet because I really don't want to spend fifteen hundred dollars on a phone that I'll never use, just for the lulls. Although you guys are making good arguments that I would do this. Maybe this backfired, Brie. Maybe we shouldn't have done this. <laughs> uh, no, what I was going to say though is that like if if I did like the the flip side, what I'm hoping for is that this will just it will will <laughs> fall. I think you uh, mean the full, but I'm bummed. No, the 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 um the good thing would be. If um, this happened, then if it's like really bad, then I don't have to worry about it. Yes, like that—that's all I have to do. And that's I all guess anyone the can fact hope that for. they're already saying they're only making two hundred thousand of it—that's not a good sign. And the well, fact and that they're not a, showing pictures—that's not right. a good sign. Yeah. Also, also, it's apparently being done in uh, uh, partnership with Verizon. Now, the good news for me is that I am a Verizon customer, so oh. there's that. Why is the mm. world set up to hurt you? I, I mean, I know. I know. Um, well, I'll have your back either way. I've judged you for things on this show, but honestly, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's, it's an accessory, right? Like, it's, it's something cute. It's fun to throw in your bag. I was showing you a picture of a, a Game Boy Zero that I bought. Yeah. It's an yeah. original Game Boy they took the guts out of it. They're putting a Raspberry Pi on it. And I will That's carry really cool. that in my Kate Spade bag as a conversation piece with oh, other totally. gamers, right? See, like, I, this I, is I'll, like that. This yeah. is like that, uh, except it's like five times as much. But I was looking at doing the the the, the Game Boy thing. My only, my only hesitance with that is that, because it's like running a Pi Zero, which is a smart way of doing it. I don't, I mean, I loved the original Game Boy, but I would really, I wish they would had done it on a, um, a, a Game Boy Pocket or uh, like a Game Boy Color yeah. um, body style just because I like that body style better personally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I get like you get more room and have other stuff with the OG 1989 Game Boy, but that's just so bulky that I, yep. I like that's the only thing I was like, oh, if they put it in the pocket, that would have been perfect. But oh, hey, you're dead on. Listen. Yeah. Hey, listen. Hey. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Linode. <gasps> with Linode, you'll have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting at $5 a month. And you'll be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in under a minute. Linode offer. 
industry-leading performance with native <laughs> SSD storage, a 50, 40, a 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They now have 10 data centers spread across the world, meaning you can serve your customers even quicker than before. They have an API that allows you to easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud, and everything is manageable via the command line. All of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing, with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups and node balancers. Woohoo! Linode has fantastic pricing options available. Their plans start at just one gigabyte of RAM for only $5 a month. And they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. And as a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash rocket, you'll not only be supporting us, Rocket, but you will also get $20 towards any Linode plan. Do the math on the one gigabyte of RAM plan that is for free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there are literally zero things to lose. So go to linode.com rocket to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. That is again L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash rocket to sign up. Thank you so much, Linode, for supporting this show and Relay FM. And I'd just like to point out that since uh, The Bachelor is uh, is back up on right now, even though I'm not a big fan of it this season because I can't with Colton, I just kind of can't. <sighs> I'm using my 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 uh, VPN uh, to watch television three hours early using uh, a, a Linode VPS. Uh, so thank you, the kind people at Linode, for, for helping me watch television in different time zones. <laughs> and now we're going to wrap Christina across the knuckles with a ruler. Mm-hmm. Yes. Stay tuned. She will never commit <laughs> crimes again, and we regret her I paid for cable. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're making John Verizon cry. John Verizon, he won't stop talking about how sad he is about your crimes. (laughs) You're not doing crimes. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to allege that. No, I'm not. (laughs) You're really not. You're really not. You pay for so much cable. Peter Comcast gets so much money from me every month, for real. Like, honestly. Did you just say Peter Comcast? Yes. Yes, that is his name. That's true. Wow, speaking of crimes. (laughs) You guys, <laughs> this whole wonderful month, this whole wonderful month of news, uh, the very long-awaited trial between the FTC and Qualcomm has been going on uh, with the FTC along with Intel and Apple alleging that Qualcomm has a monopoly on mobile chips. Uh, this from CNET, quote-unquote, Qualcomm's excessive royalty rates prevented rivals from entering the market, drove up the cost of phones, and in turn hurt consumers who faced higher handset prices, the FTC said. And so Qualcomm's defense is their chips are the best. That's why people use them. And this week, uh, the FTC has rested and is it is now Qualcomm's turn to call witnesses to the stand, which is going to be very great for them because last week on Friday uh, when they were in session, they met 
a challenging witness. Oh my God, best witness ever. Yes. In the form of Aisha Evans, who was Intel's former chief strategy officer and senior vice president. Christina, would you like to describe the scene for us? Yes, I would. And and first, real quick, I want to clarify, there are a couple of different um, Qualcomm suits going on right now. They are currently battling with Apple. Um, there are uh, over a different but related case. Uh, where uh, they're trying to say that um, Apple, you know, can't import certain phones into certain countries because they're violating certain patents that that uh, the Qualcomm has, and they're you know trying to get like they get an injunction against those things. So there's a different legal thing happening between Apple and Qualcomm that started actually because of this one. So I just want to make it clear that this is the actual FTC case. But going back to uh, what happened uh, last week in court, which was just kind of amazing, uh, just kind of reading the the Bloomberg story, um, uh, Evans, uh, that's her last name, correct? Yes. Yeah, she uh, was like a, like Simone said, she's the the former street, uh, chief strategy officer at Intel and, and ran their, their mobile um, division. And um, you know what typically what lawyers do is they want you to read like you know when they're when you're on the uh stand the other side they're like oh didn't you say in this email this sort of thing and they'll make it you know look a certain way and try to trap you and she wasn't having any of that and so she was just uh insisting on reading the entire email uh, <laughs> and not just the highlighted portions because she said that the context was important and she knew that she was allowed to do that and they would tell her to stop and she would just continue reading and they would try to kind of go faster. She was like, you're speaking a little bit fast for me. you got to slow down. Or she would say things like, you know, I'm French because she's from Senegal. She was like, you know, we're not very good with numbers. You're going to have to give me a second. And just really, like, it backfired on them because she ended up just kind of owning the entire process to the point that when they asked, when the judge asked, uh, and then and the judge in this case is uh, Judge Lucy Ko, who was also the judge in the uh, Samsung versus uh, Apple uh, case, mm-hmm. um, when, when, when she said, do you want to call her back up for, you know, rebuttal? Um, they were like, no. And, 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 and Evans, Evans like said, yes, like in the courtroom and everybody laughed. Um, and, and it was kind of a big thing because, uh, yeah, I mean – would you want to call somebody back up who was because I, I keep imagining that this is like the tech equivalent of uh, the scene from um, uh, my cousin Vinny, yeah. yeah. Marissa yeah. Tomei is like up on the stand and is like explaining all the things about like why everything is wrong. Um, I, that's kind of what I'm envisioning uh, with this, uh, but with you know a, a great uh, a, a Senegalese Sinig- uh, uh, woman, you know, executive like kind of I giving it, it to them. I love it so much. It truly is wonderful. So I have strong feelings about this case. Um, You know, so my husband, you know, he does uh, patent law for a living. I am, in general, a lot more sympathetic to biotech patents, right? Like someone spends hundreds of millions of dollars or even billions of dollars developing like a a set of drugs. I am more sympathetic for uh, the argument that they need to recoup their investment. At the core of this particular uh, issue is basically Qualcomm has a monopoly over 3G, 4G, upcoming 5G. Basically, a lot of the the technology around uh, cellular networks and 
and internet communication on cellular networks. Um, you know, we've, we hear a term a lot when it comes to, uh, you know, patent like common patents and, you know, fair exchange of patents and fair licensing. Uh, but there aren't really like a, a strong legal framework around what that is for essential patents. Um, so I, I have to say, like, um, I am, I am not an anti patent extremist kind of person, but, I'm looking at Qualcomm and the value that they're bringing to this sector. And this lawsuit has some really, really concerning aspects to it. Like Apple being locked into buying Qualcomm chips because it, it like they negotiated it, let them get a lower, uh, basically a, a fee on the patents they were, mm-hmm. uh, using. Um, it just seems, it seems anti-competitive and uh, bad for technology overall. So, yeah, um, I mean, I, if, yeah. if the government's case is correct, I mean, some of this sounds like straight up extortion, where they're basically yeah. saying the only way you can use our patents for these other things are if mm-hmm. you if you use our modems. Yeah, like which to me is insane, right? Yeah. Like you're basically saying, okay, we have all these important patents and all these crucial things. And we're not going to let you use any of our stuff unless you buy our components. And we're going to, when when we raise the price on them, and it raises, you know, prices, Jeff Williams from, uh, from mm-hmm. Apple, you know, said, you know, raise prices a billion dollars. They yeah. might, you know, make some changes. I mean, apparently, you know, like Intel, one of the big things that came out was like Intel, they wanted to use Intel chips. Um, and, and Intel thought that they had a chance to, to get into some of the iPhone stuff. And they said, no, we signed this deal you know, with Qualcomm, and we're, we're, we're tied up for two years. Uh, we can't do anything until then because, you know, you're not even giving competitors a chance because they're wielding their power and then saying, well, if you don't mm-hmm. use this, then you can't, can't use our patents. Ha, ha, ha. Like, that, that seems cre- – like, that's not cool if, if this is true. Wasn't there a thing where they couldn't use, even use the Qualcomm chips in the new iPhones? Right. Well, that – is partially because of the new, uh, the ongoing kind of dispute. So at yeah, this point, okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but, but that was trying one of those to things. say, hey, please let us make choices. Right, and it came down to, because you're going to be using the other things, with the iPhone 7 and the 8 and 8 Plus, uh, they did actually have kind of a mix. You had Qualcomm uh, chipsets in the uh, Verizon and the CDMA variants, and then you had, and I guess like the Unlocked World variants, and then you had the the Intel modems in the rest of them. Um, and now for the, the current ones that are being sold, it's all Intel things. And I think, yeah, it was because there was some sort of dispute. And, and finally, Apple was just like, we're not doing this. And also, you know, you're suing us. We're suing you. Like, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't be in business together if we keep suing each other like this. I mean, although it's not un- unusual for companies that are suing each other to still do business together, uh, case in point, Samsung, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. At yeah. the height of the Samsung versus Apple thing, Apple is still buying all of its <laughs> memory and um, and most of its processors, even though they design their chips uh, from Samsung. So, yeah. you know, yeah. like... I just, I think it's really important to remember the point of the patent system is to foster innovation. Right. It is to re- reward people that... Um, you know, like the rules of what you can and cannot patent are very, very uh, well delineated. Like it has to be a device. It's got to be, um, you know, it's got to be of novel value. You can't a prior art with it. I mean, these are all rules to reward companies for going out there, investing money and uh, you're doing it. And what I think is really interesting, a, a lot of people actually, don't know this about the patent system, that when you get a patent in the United States, 
there in the fine print of your form, you are giving the United States government uh, the right in like extreme circumstances oh. to use the patent for the use of like the country and I for national security. It's not really advertised very much. Um, so, you know, I think when you're talking about uh, was essentially a monopoly over telecommunications equipment, to me, that's like national security issues. That's like, like uh, you know, free, free commerce, that's interstate commerce issues. There's a lot on the table here. So what I want to see is like, we're not, none of the three of us are sitting on that jury. Yeah, I think what's happening well, there is, is no exactly, jury, actually. I think it's just well, Lucy well, Coe. Right. We're, we're not in the middle of this case. Right, right. I think you know, the FTC going through, bringing this lawsuit to bear, this is the system working. Um, and from what I've read, uh, I have to say I'm very much in favor of this lawsuit. Um, I just think it's, this is like the patent system isn't all good and all bad. It has advantages. It has like, you know, detractions to, to, to implementing it. I think this unfortunately is a, it's a strong, it's one of the downsides of the patent system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like they really have a stranglehold on this software, which is or on on the on this this bundle that they're licensing, which is not it just doesn't seem entirely fair to me, a layperson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and again, to your to your earlier point, where you're like, I'm with you. Like, I'm probably I'm not pro patent, but I'm not anti patent either. Like, I think that like they there is a reason for them to exist, and and that there has been proof that you know like technology innovation has happened because of the patent system. But I also feel like when you when certain things are happening, when you are using your monopoly, when you're using your system to stifle innovation, which definitely seems to be the case here, raise prices, force people to use your stuff, push potential competition out, then it's kind of going against exactly like you said, what the whole goal of this is. And that's not to say that Qualcomm shouldn't be able to recoup their money, you know, that they've obviously spent lots of lots of money on doing things. Mm -hmm. And it's not even to say that they might not be they might not be wrong, right? Like, they might make the best chips, they might be the best. Yeah. Um, But that doesn't mean that they should be able to use their position the way they're using it as as you know, the FTC is alleging like that. Uh, goes, you know, forcing companies to use them and, and then also kind of making it, I mean, other companies were kind of standing up too and saying like, we're, we've been afraid to speak out against them mm-hmm. for fear of retaliation. Like I that, think Huawei you know, it, was one of those companies. So like new exactly. up and coming phone companies that are making good phones, they want to, they want to have options. Let people use crappy chips. <laughs> I, I really, I do think this is such a strong uh, argument for us to have more standards bodies like, you know, H.264, which does this really great video codec. I think the USB like standards body has been in general very, very effective over the years. Even something like Vulcan, which is a, a partnership, you know, with the standards and the technology between corporations and, you know, other open source developers. I think that model works. I think when you've got the bones of the you know, 4G, LTE, 3G, 5G system really being controlled by one person and their technology underneath it, I, I just don't think it's a good outcome for anyone. It's not good for companies trying to foster innovation. It's certainly not good for consumers. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I, I want to see more leadership. Like there aren't that many companies operating in this space. So going forward, I would love to see more open standards bodies, like, you know, making reasonable guidelines and roadmaps for these technologies, but yeah, you know, just not allowing this kind of monopoly to happen. It's dumb. <laughs> 
there's there it is there's our <laughs> verdict <laughs> it's kind of dumb this episode Wait. of rocket is brought to you by drafts where text starts when an idea strikes you don't want to write it down later you want to write it down now whether it's that great idea for a podcast that you had or a movie that you've been meaning to watch that you're absolutely going to forget about, don't lie to yourself, or just something that you need to pick up from the grocery store, same rule applies. You're going to forget it. When it comes to notes, now is always better. Don't use brain notes. I've used them for years. They're awful. <laughs> Drafts launches ready to type, and it's the quickest way to jot down ideas and tasks, dictate notes, or draft messages and social media posts. Drafts has a configurable editing environment, which makes it a friendly, trusted place to edit and update any text on your iOS devices with whatever fonts and themes that you like. Once you capture that wonderful thought that you've had in text, powerful actions and automation tools let you do almost anything with it, like send mail or messages, post it to Twitter, save it to files, save files in Dropbox, iCloud Drive, Evernote, and more. Is this something that's interesting for you? Do you find yourself struggling, wanting flexibility with the place where you jot down all the good ideas that you're having on your commute, or maybe that really funny tweet that you want to make, but you don't have, you can't tweet it right now? It's Maybe you deleted Twitter off your phone because you're smart <laughs> like me? <laughs> You can only use it on your computer. <laughs> Try it in your dock for a week right now for free. Go to getdrafts.com. That's G-E-T-D-R-A-F-T-S dot com. If you don't have a note system that you're super happy with and you deserve to be super happy, you're basically missing your second brain. And I know I said that brain notes is not where you should keep the notes, but I guess if your second brain is drafts, then that's okay. Get it sorted now. Go to getdrafts.com. Free? What? Our thanks to Drafts for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. And I just want to I just want to say I've been using this app for years like as oh. a as a paying user. Yeah, I've Early used Drafts. Early adopter Christina Warren. Oh yeah. No, and I mean it, it's it's genuinely I mean like if you're if you're really into if, into kind of your note taking system, it's a really really good app. What I love about it is that if you want to do interesting things with your text, like if you want to export in a certain you know variant of Markdown or or some other thing, or if you want to really customize how stuff works, it works brilliantly with that. Um, uh, you know, you can save it to various clouds or import from various clouds. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's my default uh, text editor for sure for anything that I do on iOS, and huh. uh, I'm I'm a big big fan. Um, there's also there's a Mac version beta right now, but um, oh, so so that's really good too, and it you know syncs everything with iCloud. But yeah, I mean it's it's like this is like one of my like genuine like I've have a, a folder that's called drafts that I sync in Dropbox that I use <laughs> is like my even with editors that aren't drafts that I use everywhere so that because drafts is my is my go to thing. Yeah, I should not be surprised, and I'm not surprised. Christina Warren, always one step ahead of the curve. Christina Warren, text editor, lover. But yeah, I know for real. Um, I have to say, actually, what was funny was that last year when I broke my wrist and I couldn't type um, drafts uh, using like, because it 
you know, a lot of editors do this, but this one worked really well. Having like the kind of the Siri integration or whatever worked really well in terms of letting me, you know, speak to it and then, you know, bring in my my voice, but then also like edit the way I needed to and then export to the right format that I needed to get into the teleprompter. So mm-hmm. uh, it like, it helped my workflow. Because that's something I do is that I write in a certain way. I have to export yeah. to a certain format for the teleprompter. And like, I can do that in two taps rather than having to to do a bunch of other actions. I just downloaded so. it. So I'm going to have fun with yeah. that. Hey, give it a spin. it's time for dessert. Oh, ah! I'm so excited. I'm I've been excited for this all week. So hungry. <sighs> This week, you are a fool online if you have missed the news that Netflix <laughs> is releasing their Fire Festival documentary on Friday. And uh, earlier this week, on Tuesday, Hulu dropped their own Fire Festival <sighs> documentary on the same day that oh. Netflix's review embargoes were up. Oh, my so, God. Oh. We are so blessed. You guys, there's a Fire Festival documentary from Hulu called Fire Fraud that you can watch immediately right now. And then on Friday, you can watch another Fire Festival documentary called Fire. Uh, and I have seen both of them, actually, but I think we've all watched really? the Hulu one. Yes, we I will. watched the Hulu one. <sighs> I know, I'm sorry. You oh. need to share, you need to share your. I did not watch, yeah. I don't have Julia's uh, account anymore, but um, other things. At work. Anyway. You should have, like, as you're watching, you, you should, should have, have FaceTimed like, FaceTimed Christina yep. and <laughs> then just pointed your phone you at You should have, like, not actually holding my phone up for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's start by talking about a reminder of what Fire Festival was, I guess, is what we're going to start <laughs> yeah. with. This was what? the major influencer fraudmageddon. I, th- I, I think, honestly... Fraud. This was the beginning of our obsession with frauds, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, because this is before the summer of scams, right? This was before, you know, Theranos and, and Anna Delvey and, and all the other stuff and MoviePass. Mm-hmm. This was this was 2017. But it was really kind of the precursor for everything that we could come to expect. The Hula documentary does a really good job of contextualizing it, I think, yes. because they point out like this was 2017, right after, you know, Trump has come into office. Everyone, is, the country is still like really upset from the election. And then this miraculous, totally bonkers thing happens uh, where if you if you weren't keeping up with the promotion of it, it just suddenly suddenly you learned from everyone talking about it that a bunch of like Instagram influencers and young people were trapped on a Bahamian island because the music festival that they had gone to attend was a total scam. And instead of lodges, they had FEMA tents. And instead of good catered food, they had garbage sandwiches in styrofoam containers. And there was no infrastructure prepared for them. And it was just yeah. this, like, how does this happen? This is right. ridiculous. Right. Like, 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 like you have the, the video, the, the, the documentary is great because it gets like the social media footage of the people in the airport so excited about how it's going to be like the best thing ever. And then they get there and then they're like, immediately like, what is this? And you can see like the horror dawning on people. And then it legit like turns into Lord of the Flies because everybody's fighting over these FEMA tents and these like soggy wet mattresses and they've been giving people alcohol all day so you've just got a bunch of drunk like randos yeah. in the middle of nowhere 
in the Bahamas, where keep in mind, they decided to have this on a weekend, like the busiest weekend in that part of the Bahamas mm-hmm. uh, of Jamaica, like like the bu- like the busiest time of 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 uh, the year, like we're like, there isn't a lot of, you know, people available just like call me like, yo, I need a car to come pick me up. Um, I mean, ah. Uh, yeah, wonderful. See, but that wasn't that wasn't my. I mean, all of that's there. Like, it certainly got the horror footage of like, you know, beautiful millennials pulling up and being <laughs> like, "Oh, I've got to stay in a FEMA tent." What the f? <laughs> uh, but my takeaway from this was, um, I actually felt kind of bad um, after the fact because the way the media kind of covered this thing, it was like, Oh look, rich millennials are all trapped on an Island without like all of this. They got scammed. Ha ha. Isn't that funny? And yeah, I will admit, I, I I bet if I went and listened to my comments on here, I probably had a good laugh too. That said, what I appreciated about this documentary is it goes, beginning to end it mm-hmm. really focuses on billy mcfarland yep and I agree. his business past mm-hmm. his past being a really skeezy kind of dude oh totally how how he manipulated instagram influencers to hype up this thing that didn't exist and basically continually defrauded these people one yeah. after another oh, without a and, doubt yeah, i mean it, that's why he's in jail right like right. and very correctly but to me um i don't get me wrong there's definitely that footage of laughing at the people that got effed over on the island but to me it's a darker story like the final line of the documentary is america's a really great place to be a, a, a fraudster mm-hmm. right right now. and i think that's unbelievably true i would argue that's always been true but yeah sorry go on yeah yeah i was just saying yeah i love the hulu documentary and i think the thing that it does really well is setting up that timeline um and you know it introduces fire festival but then it takes you all the way back and walks you as you said very step by step through here billy mcfarland's earlier scams this is why you under by the time mm-hmm. you get to the point where fire festival is happening you understand why he's able to pull this off because you understand right. his previous because scams. he's done this before because he's done this before and the netflix and, and, documentary i it, it it gets into his earlier scams but it does that later and i, I my experience with the people that i was watching it with um i watched it today there was less there was less understanding from them of like how 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 could people be so foolish as to trust him like how is this happening right. and i was like i know how it's happening <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i haven't seen the netflix one yet and i'm really looking forward to seeing it but i think what the hulu one did so well i think you're exactly right and i'd read a lot of the court documents i knew about you know his other stuff and i'd even heard of the magnesis or magnesis or whatever he called it scam before I knew he was involved with Fire Festival. And so when that became clear, I was like, oh, it's this guy. You know, it's mm-hmm. to me, it made the story even better, right? You're like, of all the of all the things, like it's this dude's, you know, thing, which is collapsing onto itself. But there was a lot of kind of, you know, fervor around that. And but a lot of people don't know that part of the story. And it's crucial, as you said, I think, for the context to understand what happened, to see that this was uh, you know, a, a pathological pattern. And I mean, the reason he's in jail and, and the the um, Hulu documentary had this guy who's like a venture capitalist and um, was very clearly plugged into this whole thing who in some ways was kind of acting as like a, um, you know, um, like a um, like a deep throat sort of character because 
he was trying to get people to to write about this and trying to get them to kind of stop things. Uh, it it just didn't work. But he, you know, like he was the one who kind of figured out like he was modifying term sheets, he was modifying um, documents to get more loans to to be able to, yeah. to, to to pay things. Like he was committing outright fraud. And so it's yes, there's the Schadenfreude of the event, and I think that's awesome, and I'm like have no problem with that. But there's this bigger story too, like you were saying, Bree, and. And I think that telling that whole story, like you're saying, Simone, I think is really good. I'll be honest. I kind of in the back of my mind knew that there was another Fire Festival documentary happening, but I didn't know that Hulu was going to be the one who did it. And when they dropped theirs on Monday, like the same time that the reviews dropped, I kind of went in expecting it to be the bad one Mm -hmm. because, you know, everybody had only been talking about the Netflix one. And then I watched it and I started to realize First, I saw my friend Polly from Bloomberg, and then I saw my friend Gia from The New Yorker, and then I like others saw people I knew, and I was like, oh, okay, this is actually, but even if my like people I knew weren't like talking heads, I was like, oh, this is really good. Like, it, this yeah. is a really, really good overview of the whole thing. Um, and, and I'm super stoked to see the Netflix one. And, and from what the reviews I've read, it seems like that focuses more on like the festival itself. Yeah, um, I let me know if I can say this word if it beeps out. But one of the things they cover in the Hulu documentary is a f- Jerry yep, and mm-hmm. his whole um, involvement Media with. Mm-hmm. Well, it goes into the influencer thing, which yeah, I totally. found really interesting. Like basically, to hype up Fire Festival, they got they paid all these Instagram influencers to change uh, to just post like a orange picture, and then when you clicked on the orange picture, it you know, did this very slickly produced video. And they talk about the psychology behind it where you're trying to like just grab people's attention with it. And it talks about Jerry's uh, role with that. Mm-hmm. It, it, he is the one behind the Netflix documentary, right? Like all of his footage from the ground. Or am I mistaken about that? Um, Yes. Yeah, so that company is the PR company, I believe. And they did have videographers that were a uh, part of the Netflix shoot. And they, they do use a lot of like very good looking footage from that. Like it, it looks yeah. like a documentary that they shot. Um, having watched both, uh, I know Netflix that like, there's been a little bit of an ethical uh, tug of war between the two companies because Hulu paid, we don't know how much to interview Billy McFarland for eight hours. They also paid for his footage. They also paid for his footage, for which his I footage. think is important, yes. it, which is important context because it's not just paying for the interview, which people say, oh, as a documentarian or journalist, you shouldn't do. But there was a lot of, which, yes, slash no, but also there was footage like. Yes, they paid for his him. footage, they, whereas Netflix d- did not pay him for an interview, but their documentary is produced by the PR company that put on Fire Festival. And um, it is also one of the um, uh, plaintiffs in uh, the $100 million lawsuit. Yep. Yep. So, you know, both of that, they're, they're both kind of making arguments against shady. each other. I, I do think it, that they're it, both worth watching is the thing at the end yeah, of the day because oh. they do have very, they have very, very different tactics of presenting the story. Uh, and the Netflix documentary, like I've talked, the Hulu documentary does a better job of contextualizing it. The Netflix documentary has some really, uh, I think, valuable sources, uh, interviews with uh, the Bahamian workers who were yeah. tr- like trying to put this together and still haven't been paid um, mm-hmm. and have just been really hurt by this. Uh, and I thought that was a really valuable perspective to have in this totally. cluster flip of a of a beautiful disaster. 
Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Because, I mean, that's the part, and, and other media has kind of pointed this out, that, like, the real victims in this weren't any of the attendees. Because, A, some of them got their money back. B, and, and although it is true that not every single person who attended was rich, I would say that, you know, probably the majority were people who, you know, like, it's not like anybody, even if you're rich, doesn't mean you deserve to get scammed or you deserve to pay for something you didn't get. But you could almost say, like, I would say even if I paid money for, like, a cheaper ticket and if it was, like, a lot of money to me, at this point, being able to say I went to Fire Festival. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the sort of story that you can trade on for the rest of your life. I feel like you got your money's worth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, 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 and nobody's going to really feel too bad about, you know, like, obviously the investors and people who've been defrauded in other ways. I mean, that's a whole other thing. But, like, the people who aren't, who really don't have a voice and, and really don't have a voice in the, in the legal system because they're going to be the furthest down are the people in Jamaica who, Bahama, the, you know, the, or the Bahamas. The, yeah, the Bahamas. The Bahamas, sorry. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I thought it was Jamaica. Uh, but people in the Bahamas who, um, you know, like, lost money and, and worked for free and weren't compensated and probably never will be. Like, that's the real tragedy is, is the people in this poor place who, you know, are, are all about hospitality, who uh, were taken advantage of and then, you know, left in this lurch when this terrible situation happened to, you know, take care of people and feed people and do all this other stuff and will never be whole from this. Yeah. You know, no, like I that. That's they're, they're, so, so I, I, I think that's that's a good point. I do have to say, though, just from a sheer like lover of drama perspective, Quality. when the two documentaries started fighting with each other, that was like the best thing ever, <laughs> you guys. Because like, I'm not even joking. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but like, when I got to the, I'm not, I'm not spoiling things. Like, whatever, it's been all over Twitter. But like, you get to the end of this Hulu documentary. And they actually bring up the Netflix documentary, which you I know, nev- which you never see happen, oh. right? They like they like because because usually because here's what happens: this is not an uncommon thing where like you have two movies or documentaries or whatever that are done at the same time around a similar subject matter, right? Like a uh, famously, um, uh, you know, um, uh, Armageddon and Deep Impact came out the same day, and you had like the friends with benefits and the, um, you know, no strings attached movie around the same time. And like Katie Holmes and Manny Moore were each in movies where that you played like the president's like daughter, like you have these sorts of things that happen, but they don't acknowledge one another. Like that's the rule. Yeah. You do not yeah. acknowledge that the other one exists. You even have like documentaries sometimes on the same subject. Like there were like two Lance Armstrong documentaries and like two Steve Jobs documentary. Like there's a lot of stuff like that happens. You don't even acknowledge the other one exists. They freaking acknowledged that it existed. Uh, and I was like, oh my God. And then the the Netflix documentary starts to like say in statements, try to kind of shape you like, oh, well, we were going to have an interview with Billy McFarlane, but we just didn't think it was ethical to pay him. We just thought that that was, was not okay. And, and, you know, the implication being, oh, well, this other place paid, so they're unethical and their documentary isn't above board. And then the other documentary is like, yeah, but your producer is like, what plaintiff in the lawsuit so let's talk about ethics and like the fight i'm so here for it because <laughs> it's the most fire festival thing ever that there's literally a war about the fire festival documentary gift that keeps on giving and honestly i i think it's gonna make everyone watch both yeah, and they should I'm watch both because they're both really good see that's what i'm saying like i'm here for all the fire content i i, I want all of it <laughs> And I've never understand the argument against paying people like I for documentary access. Like they're getting paid. I understand journalistically it can look weird, but sometimes like it's people's moment. They want to get paid for it. I think it's gross. I've never taken a payment to participate in someone's documentary, and I've done like 20 at this point. But you know, like I don't think that is automatically 
an unethical choice to make. And I, I think that's just a weak argument myself. Yeah. I mean, I think that you can make the case that sometimes, and this obviously wouldn't be the case here, but you could make a case in some cases that if the filmmaker is paying, then the subject matter might be more likely to say what they think the director wants them to say. Mm. So the perspective that's being put across might do that. Or you might say, oh, well, if they're being paid, then they're going to be more willing to take the side or, you know, um, show the, the, the point of view of, of the person that's paying, you know, that, that they paid, you know, that they might be more sympathetic to that. In yeah. this case, I mean, and I think that's a valid argument and you can definitely say, see pros and cons. I think in this case, you know, looking at that documentary, um, A, I think that having the interview with Billy McFarlane definitely added to the documentary. I, I think that oh, you yeah. could say that if you if you didn't have that, it still would have been great, but it added a lot to it. Yeah. I also think having whatever footage they got from him added to it as well. And I and the reason that I noted the footage thing, because I almost feel like that's separate. I feel like you can say be critical of if you want to pay for an interview, but they also paid for footage. And to me, like that's a non-negotiable. Like if you're getting somebody's footage, that is something you usually have to pay for. You know what I mean? Like that's just yeah. you can't you can't expect somebody, even if they're the subject of your thing, to give you their footage for free. Yeah. Um, but I think beyond that, like, this was not something that portrayed him in any way a sympathetic light. No. At all. No. Like, no. to the contrary. Like, like you know, you, you almost wonder, like, if he took the money, whatever the amount might have been. Yeah, you're like, what the frack were you thinking, dude? Like, just from a litigious point of view, do you know how much legal liability you exposed yourself to in this documentary? Uh, well, completely. Like, well, right. But I mean, it's almost like you thought, you think that he thought he could pull one over on them and be like, oh, well, yeah. I can manipulate this and come out the hero and tell my story. And it's like, no. You know, yeah, he's, a, he's a very much a compulsive liar. And that is the conclusion that the Hulu documentary yeah. comes to. Like, 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 like it shows it like it said, like he at one point asked in the documentary, you know, when have I when have I made any false statements? And then it yeah. literally goes through like a quick cut of every lie he said, like definitive lies. And, you know, so you're watching this and, and he's in no way getting off the hook. You know, like it, it's yeah. one of those things where even if you're like, OK, yeah, you paid him, but he didn't he came off worse for this. Like it would have been in his best interest to not talk to these people, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why the journalistic argument to me comes down to like the credibility of the people doing it. Totally. And, like you, you, it's to a certain point, people need to develop their own media literacy skills to evaluate what is credible and what is not. So I will say the the entirety of this putting together, it was very clear to me they did a lot of legal fact-checking. They had a ton of different people they brought in. I don't think I've ever watched a documentary with this number of people coming in and giving quotes on it. And to me, all of that together it felt very credible, as you said. It didn't paint him in a negative light. So I I feel like I could say if they needed to pay to bring him in there, I think it made a better piece of journalism overall. Yeah. So the practice on its own is not... I don't think it automatically dings your credibility. I think it's how... I think it's what your track record is, and I think it's how you do it, basically. Yeah, yeah. and I would have to say, because I haven't seen Netflix one yet, I will be watching it on Friday as soon as it comes out. But I, even though I do, like, I personally find it sort of eh, that, you know, one of your producers is is involved, was involved in the festival, like, as, yeah. you know, one of, yeah. the, one of the principals. Like, that's kind of whatever. I also am going to say... To your point, like that doesn't necessarily mean that the the framing is going to be, um, you know, un, is going to be wrong. 
um, you know, maybe the framing is just different. Maybe it's another thing. And, and, and to Simone's point, you know, by having that involvement, you're getting other parts of the story too. So, mm-hmm. um, now we just need, you know, Amazon to, to make a, <laughs> a documentary about the documentaries and and we can get even more content because for real, like, this is all, like, just so good. It's so good. It's so good. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Woohoo! Yes. I'll make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea. With a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. When maybe you want to be able to speak clearly. I'm sure you can find a way to make a website about that. More likely, you'll want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog. Well, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do exactly all of those things. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. Throw it out the window. Squarespace has it covered. <laughs> they have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help along the way. And they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And guess what, folks? All of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I'm fond of my Squarespace site. I'm going to have to get another one because I want to post my my name, a SimoneDeRochefort.com website on a Squarespace site. I think it would look very nice, so I'm going to have to get two Squarespace domains, and I'm fine with that. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required. Look what you've done. I've lost my voice now. What's happening to me? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash rockets. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain and to show your support for rocket. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash rocket and the offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you, Squarespace. A full year support. Make your next move. <laughs> I make love it your so next much. Website. I have done too many voices yeah, today. That was into like, I was show. counting. That was five, right? It was awful. You've done was too many, was. but that's it was, okay. It was, it was a journey. No, it was. An it emotional was. journey. Um, speaking of emotional journeys, so I uh, there's a better than fifty percent chance that that uh, it's fake, which would just be better. Um, I will, it will come in next week when I'm in Israel, so I won't have it until the show after next, but I did order Fire Festival merch off of eBay. I oh was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask if you actually bit the bullet, oh, and yeah. you did. You did? Of course I did. Of course she I did. proud of you, Christina. Um, Very proud. Um, it, because, because really, this is what I would need, like, in my life. So I'm, yeah, I'm so excited uh, about potentially getting it. And honestly, if it's fake... I I feel like that almost makes the experience that much better. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't regret the the forty five dollars or whatever I spent on potentially fake fire festival merchandise. Um, this is all going in favor of me buying the the razor, isn't it? I love your attitude. <laughs> it's so upbeat, scam loving, uh, scam loving Christina. 
Uh, speaking of which, do you know, I was thinking today, do you know of any good podcasts that cover scams? <laughs> we should like launch auxiliary like, we honestly, podcast, yeah, like we should. cast. I, honestly, I just want to like listen, man. I'm, there, there, there's something to be said for why we're so obsessed with scams in 2019. Brianna, what are you doing this week? What am I doing this week? Uh, well, as soon as this podcast so far, I can go sleep 10 hours. Hey. Um, I've got two speeches coming up. There's a women's march. Um, I, you know, I, I have to be honest. I am really, uh, you know, the women's march started under such great circumstances. Uh, there have been a lot of scandals this week with, uh, Basically, organizers of the uh, Women's March basically uh, refusing to denounce anti-Semitism with some of the people they're associated with. So um, I've been really torn about whether to participate with it. Ultimately, it's like it's here in Boston, right? So I'm not supporting the National Women's March. I'm Mm. supporting like women here in Boston. But I got to be honest, I've been just really – I've been just – so troubled by the way they just can't come out and say, hey, yeah, those anti-Semitic people that we're kind of loosely associated with, we denounce them. I don't know why they can't do that. It's really disturbing. Seems like something that people should do. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, especially (laughs) since the person in question is someone who's had like a really strong history of saying really, really terrible, like indefensible things. Yeah, like about mm -hmm. about gay people too. And about women, like... About a lot of things, like just not a great person, yep. um, but a person who has been given for many years, like a big national platform. And anyway, but that's a whole other thing. I understand yeah. your 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 uh, your debate there, uh, Bree, and I. I don't I don't envy you because that's a hard that's a hard thing to yeah. do. Like you know, ultimately, I don't I don't care about the organization putting this together. I do care about all the women I know here in Boston. And you know, the truth is our state's got work to do. So I'm going to go march with my friends. All right, Christina, what are you up to? So I am flying out to Tel Aviv um, on Friday. <laughs> so yeah, so I will be first flying to JFK. Then I will be uh, hopefully, uh, are, are you on the same flight as um, uh, to Seattle as uh, Chelsea Simone? Uh, I I'm not sure, but I heard that, yes, you are leaving as I arrive. Yeah, so if that's the case, I'm going to try to hug you both in the airport because... Oh, I want so this to happen. That happens. Yeah, me too, because I was going to try to have lunch, um, but I thought that my flight was later than it is. So um, so first me flying to JFK, then um, I will be having to transfer to JFK, which is super fun. Uh, not. Uh, <laughs> to, uh, I, I, I hope I don't have to change. Oh, my God. Okay, I don't want to change yeah, terminals because yeah, yeah. JFK is a whole nightmare. Um, and then I will be flying from JFK to Tel Aviv. Um, and then I'll be in Tel Aviv until I'll get back the following Friday. So um, I'm going to be uh, seven hours ahead of Rocket. Um so I think I can do next week's show. It'll be like midnight, one a.m. like my time. Um, it, 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 I can do it. I can. We'll I can record if we this. record. Early. We'll, we'll discuss you it. You could be up at one a.m. Oh, I could be up yeah. at mid- no midnight's not a problem. We just might have to record the show earlier. That's the only thing we'll talk okay. about it next week. But like, but yeah, but but I'll be in Tel Aviv next week for uh, uh, Microsoft Ignite the tour. So oh. if you are in Tel Aviv, then um, obviously like reach out because rocket rules apply. It doesn't matter what country mm-hmm. you're in. You don't have to wear a shirt because we haven't sold them in a while. But uh, if you're a listener um, and you're around, we'll find a place and I will buy you a drink. 
Uh, I, I did it in Finland, um, and I, I will uh, hope to do it in other countries as well. For people who are curious at home, the the other countries I will be in between now and uh, the uh, in like May will be um, Australia, Amsterdam, um, Dubai, and Mumbai. Nice. Oh my God, you're such a jet setter. I know. Well, okay. living that life, baby. This week, I am flying to Seattle for PodCon, uh, which is fellow like a relay person. You might have heard of him. Mike Hurley is also attending. Um, and I'll be doing a ton of panels uh, at PodCon, mostly on Saturday. And uh, po- tickets to PodCon are actually still on sale uh, for remote listeners as well as in-person. So in-person, I mean, both of them are available at PodCon.com. The way the remote ones work is it's not streaming, but like a bit after the conference is over, you'll receive an audio package of all of the panels and stuff, which sounds super cool. Uh, that seems like a great way to consume content to me. Um, so you can check that out my schedule and tickets at podcon.com. I'm extremely excited to be in Seattle again. I feel extremely tired because I just got back from France on Monday. Oh. And uh, I will also be flying back to New York on a red eye because Mm -hmm. someone didn't realize that she had Monday off and wanted Mm -hmm. to get back to New York to work on Monday. But that's fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, shoot. I forgot about that because, yeah, Monday is a holiday. See, I will actually, because it's not a holiday in Israel, so I will actually be working on Monday. But, yeah, no, that. Mm-hmm. Oop, hey. All right. So that's what I'm up to this week. Brianna, where can we find you online? You can find me at uh, Brianna Wu on Twitter, or you can find me on Facebook at Developer Brianna Wu. We're using Facebook a lot this time around. And uh, obviously, if you want to support technological competence in Washington, you can do that by going to supportbrianna.com. Christina, what about you? Uh, you can find me at film underscore girls on the Twitters and the Instagrams. And uh, I will be Instagram storying uh, from uh, Tel Aviv. And like I said, if you happen to be in Tel Aviv, hit me up on the Twitter machine um, and we'll see if we can find a way to, uh, to, to to do a meetup or whatever. I think there might be something happening at the uh, Microsoft Reactor that's opening, the startup uh, center that's opening in Tel Aviv as well. So I'll, I'll be posting those details. But yeah, I would love to to meet anybody um, who's out that way. Yay. And you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and at YouTube.com slash Polygon. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, folks. If you like the show, please do review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are reviewed and share it with your friends. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs>